Well, please turn with me in our Bibles this morning uh, to the book of Psalms. And this morning we are looking at Psalm 22. This is a time of the year when uh, many churches uh, turn their attention uh, to the, the events surrounding Christ's death and resurrection. And so we're going to take the opportunity uh, to break from our uh, pattern of working through the Gospel of Mark uh, to uh, look at this psalm this morning. Psalm 22 on page 457 and reading verses 1 to 21 this morning. There's a heading to this psalm that says, To the choir master according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? From the words of my groaning. O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Central uh, to the Christian faith is the death of Jesus. It is something that we read about in each of the four Gospels, how Christ was crucified and gave up his spirit, how he died on the cross and was buried 
and ultimately he was raised uh, to life again. But this morning, we want to turn our attention to the Old Testament. We actually want to turn our attention to a passage of scripture that was written a thousand years before Jesus died in order to understand the significance of Jesus' death. It has been described as a passage that is the best description of what happened to Jesus, the best description about the crucifixion in all of scripture. But it was written a thousand years before it happened. This morning we are looking at Psalm 22, which is a psalm that was written by King David. Ordinarily, we turn to the book of Psalms, and when we do so, we are looking at how the psalmist, oftentimes David, but not always David, the psalmist is writing a book of praises. He is writing about uh, the life of faith. And he oftentimes begins with his own experience and then bridges that to looking to the Lord in all things. And the Psalms do that. They help us in all of our experiences, with all of our emotions, uh, to respond in faith. And we begin to see not only something of what happened to the psalmist, of what happened to David, but we are meant to see how that is to be instructive for all of us. And many of the Psalms you can turn to and you can see how a Psalm has a, it's anchored in history. And maybe it's David on the run from Saul and he's fleeing for his life. Or maybe it's David reflecting on his experience of having to flee from Absalom. Or maybe he's simply reflecting on his own experience as a shepherd boy and being able to reflect and to think about how God treats him as a good shepherd. Many of the Psalms have a, a concreteness to them that we can say where we see them in their own experience. But Psalm 22 doesn't really fit that. It would be inadequate to simply look to it as something that is happening in David's own experience. Not only because there's nothing in David's experience that naturally connects with what is being described here, but because what is being described here goes beyond simply uh, hardship and anguish. There are Psalms where David speaks of his illness. He speaks about enemies uh, challenging him and circling around him. But this isn't talking about illness. And this isn't simply talking about uh, hostility. As it says there in verse uh, 15, it talks about him being laid down in the dust of death. This is talking about death itself, that the psalmist, the speaker, is experiencing. And so not only does it not adequately describe anything that happens in David's experience, but when we come to Psalm 22, there is not any part of the psalm that you cannot see a fulfillment in the life of Christ. And so right down to the details, you are seeing fulfillment after fulfillment in the experience of Jesus. In fact, the apostles themselves draw attention to that. Fourteen times the apostles in the New Testament quote from Psalm 22. Nine of those times in describing the experience of Jesus' death on the cross. And so the apostles themselves saw this psalm as speaking to us about Jesus himself. And so this morning we want to look at this psalm not simply as uh, a psalm of one that is in anguish and in suffering, but as a psalm that is a window into understanding the experience of Christ's crucifixion. How are we to understand this psalm? 
David was not only a king, he was a prophet. And scripture tells us that David foresaw and spoke about the Christ. And that seems to be an apt description of this psalm. David is speaking to us about the experience of the Christ. And we want to look at this psalm and we want to see that because Christ was forsaken by God, those who believe in him can enjoy God's favor. And we want to think about this idea of forsaken and rescued. First, we want to think about being forsaken. In the Gospels, when we turn to the New Testament, we read about what happened at the end of Jesus' life. You remember, Jesus was betrayed by Judas. He was then arrested, and he was held and detained by the Sanhedrin until he could be tried in the early morning hours. He was found guilty of blasphemy, and then he was brought before Pilate for execution, for trial. Reluctantly, Pilate agreed to having Jesus put to death, and we are told that he was crucified at a place called Golgotha. When Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m., We are told that three hours later, at midday, there was darkness over the land for a period of three hours. From 12 until 3, the the land, which you would expect to be bright, became dark. And what is darkness? You young people, what do you think of when you think of darkness? Darkness is simply the removal of light. It is when light is being taken away when there is no light. And the darkness is a scary thing, not just for young people, it's scary even for big people. Because we are meant to live in the light. We flourish when we can live in the way that we were created to live. When we're in the darkness, something has been taken away that is meant for our flourishing. And so here, in the, as Jesus is being crucified on a cross... He is hung on a cross, but he is hanging on that cross in the darkness. And it is giving us something of an understanding of Jesus' experience. During that time of darkness on the cross, Jesus uttered the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Obviously, those words express something of the anguish of what Jesus is going through. But it also is revealing to us something of... Jesus' own mindset. That a man who had meditated on God's word was identifying with this psalm even from the cross. That his anguish was being interpreted by the writings of Psalm 22. Jesus was in anguish, but he was helping not only himself, but also those who would hear to understand what that suffering is all about. Why is Jesus in anguish? Why is Jesus being crucified? Why does Jesus die? And so this psalm actually helps us answer those questions. And the opening words of the psalm highlight that idea of forsaken. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does it mean to be forsaken? It means to be abandoned. It means that something has been withdrawn. Throughout Jesus' life, he enjoyed a conscious recognition of the Father's favor. He heard it audibly. He read about it in the scriptures. He saw it in the miracles that he was doing. 
It was all confirming to him a conscious awareness of his father's approval. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. But on the cross, in the darkness, something has happened. Something has been withdrawn. And it's not only the light, but it is the light of God's face. It is the light of God's countenance. It is the light of God's favor that Jesus no longer consciously enjoys. And there is a mystery to this. But as Jesus is crying out in anguish here, it is telling us something of what he is experiencing. And it invites us to see this beyond simply physical suffering. Jesus is experiencing something of the withdrawal of God's favor. And this is not... This is not a relief. Sometimes people think that if I get away from God, then I would have relief. But it's quite the opposite. The removal of a conscious awareness of God's favor brings no rest. It brings no comfort. And that's why in verse 2 it says, I cry out day and night, but I find no rest. There is no relief in this state that he finds himself in. And so this, this language, this phrase that Jesus uses from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is accenting something of his experience. He is forsaken by God. Three times in, this, in these opening verses, in verses 1 through 21, you'll notice the theme of asking God not to be far from him. He says uh, to the Lord, uh, not to be far from me, uh, uh, three times in these verses. And he's asking, uh, but by making that plea, he is highlighting something of the estrangement uh, or the, the withdrawal of what was once enjoyed. To be forsaken by God then is uh, an anguishing uh, situation to find oneself in. But you think about what is being highlighted here. It is describing, it's describing the end of what sin is and what sin does. Sin, we say, brings a separation between us and our God. But as John Flavel highlights, not only does sin separate us from God, but the end of sin, the punishment for sin, the result of sin is ultimately for God to separate himself from us to no longer show his kindness and favor to us. And so what Jesus is expressing here, what the psalmist is expressing here, is the language of one who is feeling the result and the end of sin. The removal of God's favor and simply the justice of God's wrath being exposed. And so he feels and he says that he is forsaken by God. He cries out to the Lord, but there is no answer. There is only silence. And he finds no rest. But the psalm is not only about being forsaken by God. It is also a psalm that speaks about being forsaken by men. This psalm is very intricately composed. And you'll actually notice that in these first 21 verses, that it can break down into six sections. And all that to say that when you read through the psalm, you'll notice that it alternates back and forth between the expressions of suffering and faith. 
The psalmist here moves back and forth describing anguish and suffering and then constantly turning back to the Lord. You see that even in the language itself. It speaks about I, my experience, my experience of forsakenness. But then it switches back to you. Notice, for instance, in verse 3, yet you are holy. And this is something that happens back and forth in the psalm. The psalmist here is, is grounding himself. The speaker is, is centering himself in the midst of his anguish about what he knows to be true. And you notice how he appeals to his knowledge of the character of God. You are holy. This I know about God. He is holy. He is alone worthy of praise and trust. And he does all things for his glory. Everything will work to his glory. He is enthroned on the praises of his people. And so the psalmist here is clinging to that idea that God will work and is working all things in a way that is glorious. And he appeals to the past, in you our fathers trusted and they were not put to shame. And so he's able to look back on the past and to to look at his experience in the moment and to remember that God has proven himself faithful. And that's a lesson for us, isn't it? That the psalmist here, in all the anguish that he's going through, is able to, to center himself on what he knows about God, to bring to the forefront what he knows about God, so that he is not uh, off-centered, or he is not unsettled even, by his own anguish and his own experience. And so here he is appealing to his understanding of who God is. He appeals to the past and points out that their fathers have never been put to shame. When they called, God answered. That's what we were singing about. A loving and forgiving God. And when they called, you answered. And so here the psalmist is one who is crying out. But there's silence. But in the silence... He continues to trust. The psalm moves on from there. His, ex, uh, his experience then uh, comes back to the forefront in verse 6 and following. He describes himself as a worm and not a man. Most of us pay little attention to a worm. Maybe if we see one in a garden, we might be excited. But if we see one on the sidewalk, we wouldn't give much attention to it. It's of little significance is the idea. That's how Israel felt on the international scene. In Isaiah's prophecy, Israel was described as a worm. No one seems to care about Israel. They're of little significance. But here the speaker says, I'm like a worm. That there's no significance given to me. That I'm treated with disdain. And people are standing around mocking me. This is his experience of being rejected by the people that he came to treat. In verses 7 and 8, we are given even more detail. All who see me, they mock me. They make mouths at me. They even taunt him, saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. And in detail, those words are picked up in the Gospels, aren't they? We are told in uh, the Gospel records that those who passed by hurled insults at Christ shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and to build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. 
In the same way, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. What was happening in Jesus' experience? He was going through the agonizing experience of having his words twisted and distorted. He was going through the experience of, rather than people taking pity on his condition, they were actually publicly ridiculing him and mocking and taunting him. Let's see if he'll come down. Let's see if God will save him. And all the while, Jesus bears with their mockeries. But why are they doing it? Why are people taunting him? Why are they mocking him? It tells us there in verse 8. It's because they do not accept his claims. They don't accept the claims that he trusts in the Lord. They don't accept the claims that the Lord delights in him. (coughs) Jesus was one who came saying that he was the beloved son of the father. That he was the one who had came to save uh, people. He is Lord and Savior. But the natural heart doesn't want to hear of Lord. That we are under authority to anyone. And the natural heart doesn't want to hear that we need a savior. And so people are rejecting and mocking this claim. And they are hostile towards him. And so his experience of being forsaken is one of being forsaken by God, but also of being forsaken by men. You see that theme reemerge in verses 9 and following. uh, He says, Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near. You notice there that in spite of his experience, he continues to trust in God. There's actually a fourfold appeal there. Uh, that he, uh, he utters, out of the womb, upon my mother's breasts, from my birth, from my mother's womb. Just as others have trusted in the Lord, so has he. Just as he appeals, our fathers trusted in you and you answered. Now the speaker is saying, so have I. From my birth, I have trusted in my God. And so in the midst of this anguish, His faith is resolved. His faith is constant. He continues to trust in spite of the silence. In spite of the hardship, he is still trusting. And then it shifts back to talking about his experience of being forsaken. In verses 12 and following, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. His enemies are described as bulls and lions and dogs. Their their hostility is highlighted by their encircling him and by opening wide their mouths at him. There is is an aggression that is being expressed here as they uh, pour their contempt upon the speaker. In verses 14 and following, he is described as completely exhausted. His bones are disjointed. His heart is failing. His thirst is raging. He is near death. His body is so stretched that you can count his bones. And he has to watch helplessly as people gamble over his clothes. And yet he is still trusting. It tells us in verse 16 that they have even pierced his hands and his feet. Just as Christ was pierced 
when they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. So here in detail, we are given something of the agonizing suffering that he would undergo, right down to the details. And in spite of all of this, he calls on the Lord not to be far off, but to come quickly to his aid. Psalm 22 is a psalm about suffering, but it's not the suffering of just anyone. And it's not even the suffering of David. This is the suffering of the Messiah King. David, as an inspired writer, is speaking about the one who would be the Lord's representative. But he is describing him as one who is forsaken. But why is he being forsaken? Scripture teaches us that he would be forsaken as a way of bringing atonement for sin. That as Isaiah says, he would be rejected by men. That he would be smitten by God. And he would be pierced for our transgressions. That was the experience of the Messiah in order to bring atonement for sin. The wages of sin is death. And to make atonement, to make a covering for our sins, there must be death. The result of sin must come to pass. The separation from God's kindness. And on the cross, Jesus is experiencing the essence of what hell is. The removal of God's kindness and the separation from that that blessing. And that is why he is crying out, why have you forsaken me? Not because he himself is guilty of sin, but because he is bearing the sins of his people as the mediator, as the savior of sinners. So he is described as forsaken. What happens at the cross? Something mysterious. There's darkness. But the darkness is highlighting the withdrawal of something precious that we need. It is the removal of God's kindness. And here, Christ is the object of the Father's wrath. But it's not only a psalm about being forsaken. It is a psalm of his faith in the midst of being forsaken. And as we've been singing in the Psalms, God answers his people. And even in the silence, Christ trusted that he would be heard. And so as, he, as it says here that you have laid me down in the dust of death, Jesus didn't die in despair. He didn't die disillusioned about what was happening. Something has gone wrong. Jesus died in faith. And he trusted that he would be delivered from the sword. And he was. In verse 21, it says, You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Either he is looking back on the Lord's deliverance, or he is speaking with such confidence and certainty as though it has already happened. But either way, it is highlighting the fact that God is a God who does answer. And so Jesus, who gave up his life on the cross for an atonement for sin, as he laid down his life as the Messiah King uh, that is being spoken of here, he did it ultimately and was answered by his God. He was raised to newness of life and shown to be the King that is promised in the Old Covenant Scriptures. 
On the cross, Jesus experienced what it means to be forsaken by God, but he was also rescued out of death. He was not rescued from death. He was rescued out of death, which is far greater. As David Dixon highlights, he says, Christ was no less delivered from the bulls and the lions and the dogs by his resurrection after death than if he had been delivered from their hands when they first came to arrest him at night. In fact, this deliverance from death was far greater than the one of escaping death because that would have meant he was alone delivered. But his deliverance from death through the resurrection is a deliverance both of himself and of those who belong to him. When Jesus was crucified on a cross, he was experiencing the end of sin, separation from God. But through it all, he trusted in his heavenly father that his suffering was not in vain and that his trust was not misplaced. And the psalm celebrates that he was rescued that God did deliver him from out of death. So as we think about the death of Jesus, as we think about the cross, do we understand what Jesus' death signifies? Yes, he died, but he died suffering the, the end and the consequences of sin. Jesus died and experienced the result of sin, which is separation from God, so that if we belong to Christ, if we are trusting in Christ, we never ultimately will be forsaken, but rather we can enjoy the favor of God and we can be anchored on the knowledge of who God is and his track record in the past. Just as Jesus found encouragement by looking back to how you answered our fathers, so we can be encouraged as we think about how God answered the plea of his servant king, the Lord Jesus. He continued to cry, and there was silence. He continued to trust, even though he was being rejected and mocked, because he was anchored in the purposes of God. Do you believe that yourself? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do pray that as we uh, think over your word, that we would see it not simply as idle words or isolated words, but words that point us uh, to the glory of God in Jesus Christ. We thank you that his suffering was not in vain, and we thank you that you have answered and rescued him from out of death's domain. Lord, we pray then that we would uh, uh, trust in your work and your purposes, and that you would go before us. In Jesus' name we pray.